0: Chapter Twenty Five of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Five Dulcie Sacrifices Herself. It was early in February, and all along the sunlit Riviera, the world was waking to the first faint breath of spring. A sapphire sky reflected itself in a sapphire sea, and save for the murderous cold wind now and then, the sojourner in that southern world might flatter himself that he had cheated time out of a winter. Sir Everard and his daughter had been roving along the seaboard, stopping a few days here and a week there, and hurrying off impatiently from another place at the whim of the invalid, who was curiously restless and difficult to please. He missed his library and the quiet life of Fairview, which perhaps was more congenial to his meditative character than any other kind of life, albeit he had never seemed quite happy even at Fairview. Dulcie bore with his whims and soothed his restless spirits with inexhaustible patience. Every other hope and wish in her mind had given place to the one ardent desire to spin out the weak thread of her father's days to sweeten the remnant of his life she bore without a murmur her separation from morton dearly as she loved him and although it seemed to her as if all the brightness and youth were taken out of her life now that he and she were parted the keynote of her existence was not gladness but resignation her father's health seemed to improve after they reached the south but his spirits were variable and that restlessness which dulcie noticed soon after they left paris that utter weariness of soul which made the shortest winter-day too long was almost worse than physical pain or weakness nothing they saw in their shifting from place to place interested or amused him he avoided society as much as possible and most of all avoided his own countrymen who were to be found in possession of the hotels wherever they went if we could only find some quiet place where you and i could be alone together with nature and our favourite books he said to dulcie and in quest of this tranquil retreat they travelled backwards and forwards along the sea-coast in a vague purposeless way which would have been dispiriting to a business-like tourist at last a little way inland from marseilles out of the beat of the common run of travellers sir everard found a spot that pleased him it was a little town on the side of a sandy hill crested with pines a few villas were scattered among the pine trees the air was exhilarating and there was a distant view of the mediterranean it was something like bournemouth before bournemouth became a popular watering-place sir everard hired one of the white-walled villas near the top of the hill a small low house sheltered on the landward side by a thick grove of pines its front windows overlooking a wide sweep of blue water. Here we will stay till we cross to Algiers, said Sir Everard, and he seemed in no hurry to visit the African shore. He ordered a piano from Marseilles and a big case of new books from Paris, and settled himself down to his old studious and meditative life with something of the old repose. Dulcie was delighted the mornings were warm enough for them to sit out of doors among the pine trees the sun was sometimes so hot at noontide as to necessitate the use of dulcie's biggest parasol i really think we have succeeded in running away from the winter papa she said gaily you ought to buy this villa and then we could come here every year the world is wide my darling why should we anchor ourselves to one spot we may winter in egypt next year and then morton will be with us will he not papa hazarded dulcie blushing i suppose i shall be married before this year is ended you know dearest i don't mean my marriage to separate me from you i shall be your daughter all the same and obedient to you in all things morton will be your adopted son no, you do not know what you are talking about dulcie answered her father impatiently the kind of thing you propose is not possible other daughters have talked like you time out of mind and it has all ended in nothing when desdemona marries she follows her more to cyprus and poor old brabantio is deserted i think in the play papa that is brabantio's fault it was he who flung off his daughter It was on the evening after this conversation that Dulcie and her father were sitting side by side in the veranda, watching the moonlit waves and the yellow lights of the little town twinkling under a purple sky. The post had come in half an hour ago. There had been several letters for Sir Everard, but none for Dulcie. He had been silent and gloomy since the reading of his letters, and his daughter feared that one of them must have brought ill news of some kind. Whatever it might be, she waited patiently for him to reveal his trouble, feeling that it was wiser to leave him undisturbed till he chose to speak. She was at his side, ready to be his confidant if he needed her sympathy. They had sat almost in silence for nearly half an hour, when Sir Everard laid his hand gently on his daughter's shoulder and drew her nearer to him. "Dulcie," he said softly, "'are you happy with me?' quite happy dear father and this retired studious life hidden from the world unambitious uneventful pleases and satisfies you i can imagine no pleasanter kind of life (sighs) that is well he answered and then relapsed into silence for some minutes my darling he began after that long pause i think you know that i love you I think you will believe, however inconsistent my conduct may seem, that I love you as truly and as dearly as father ever loved daughter since this world was created. Yes, Papa, I have perfect faith in your love, she answered, trembling a little. And yet I am going to distress you. I am going to ask you to sacrifice something very dear to your heart sacrifice is the proof of love dear father she answered gently i am prepared to make any sacrifice for your sake i want you to give up morton Oh, father she exclaimed with a faint cry as if of physical pain yes i thought it was that she said quietly there are reasons why your union with him could never bring happiness either to him or to you I felt this when he first proposed for you, and I set my face against such an engagement as you know. In an evil hour, seeing that your heart was concerned in the matter, I weakly yielded. But I have felt ever since that I have done wrong. I have felt more firmly convinced, as time went by, that the engagement must result in misery. But why, father? For what reason? I am ready to obey you i am willing to make any sacrifice for your sake yes even to part from him who is dearer to me than anything on earth except yourself you shall always be first i have told you that if there is some good reason why morton and i cannot be happy together let me know it and understand it and i will accept my fate unfortunately i cannot tell you my reason you must take it on trust and did this same reason influence you when you first refused to sanction our engagement in part yes oh father why did you yield then i could easier have borne to give him up then than now every hour we have spent together has made him nearer and dearer to me until he has become a part of my life it would have been better for me if you had been cruel then if you had been blind to my silent regret and let the sorrow wear itself out perhaps it would have worn itself out in time though i fancied it was going to be a sorrow of a lifetime all fancy dear child answered sir everard soothingly hearts are not so easily broken steel yourself to endure the agony of a sudden wrench and a year hence you will wonder that this sacrifice could have cost you so much you say that and yet you have never forgotten my mother sir everard started like one who feels a sudden touch upon an old wound a touch that thrills through every nerve that was different he answered huskily she was my wife my own we had one short year of bliss and then came ruin no man could forget such a blow as that but a girl's first lover is like a child's first doll dearer than anything else in the world till she gets a new one father cried dulcie with a sob yes i know i must seem hard and cruel but i have your welfare at heart darling this marriage could not make you happy there is that in morton's character which must result in misery to you he is noble-minded, conscientious and truthful, full of thought for others. <laughs> you cannot read him as I read him, or know him as I know him. But I will urge this question no further. If you have made up your mind to marry him in opposition to my most urgent desire, let the engagement go on. But if you want to make me happy, you must give up Morton Blake.' you know that i would lay down my life for your happiness but this is so strange so sudden you give me no reason or only a vague reason for such an act my mind is utterly bewildered take a week to think about it said sir everard quietly that looks like disobedience oh, my love i will not so think of it I know that I must seem to you inconsistent, arbitrary, cruel even, but as I live, Dulcie, the grief I would have you endure for my sake today will save you a more terrible grief in the future. I should have foreseen this earlier. I have been weak and blameworthy. I am a sinner and I need all your charity, all your patience.' "'You're the best and dearest of men!' sobbed Dulcie, with her tearful face hidden upon his breast. "Oh, "'How could I hope to have you and Morton? It would be too much for heaven to grant to one woman!' Then, after a pause, she lifted her head and looked in her father's face with an almost childlike simplicity. "'Papa, if I give him up, do you think he will marry Lady Frances?' i think it not improbable that will make my life harder to bear that will be very bitter not another word was said about morton either by sir everard or his daughter this confirmed an idea that had flashed across dulcie's mind when sir everard began to speak about her renunciation of morton she loved her father with such perfect trustfulness that she could not believe him capable of wantonly grieving her He would not have asked her to make this sacrifice without some good and sufficient reason, and it might be that he withheld that reason, rather than wound her womanly pride, by telling her that Morton was false or fickle. She had felt a few faint pangs of jealousy that Christmas night at Tangley, when Morton and Francis were waltzing with the air of people to whom it was natural to be together. Many a careless familiarity of Frances Grange's had struck her on that Christmas day. Every word she said to Morton revealed a long and intimate acquaintance, the friendly association of years, while an undefinable something in the lady's tone and manner hinted at a warmer feeling than friendship. Brooding upon these past impressions, and even exaggerating them in the light of her new-born fears, Dulcie gradually convinced herself. That her father knew more of morton's sentiments than he cared to tell her she remembered that curious change in her lover's manner which had wounded and alarmed her during the period before the trial at highclere she remembered his fitful spirits his intervals of silence and moodiness all accounted for at the time by his anxiety as to the result of the trial looking back at his conduct now she told herself that this trouble of mind might have marked the gradual arising of a change of feeling the slow awakening to the consciousness that francis grange endeared by old associations had a stronger hold upon his heart than the girl whom he had chosen for his wife Always doubtful of her own merits, it seemed to Dulcie that Lady Frances was fascinating enough to lure any lover away from such an insignificant little person as herself. Yet the thought of Morton's inconstancy stung her to the quick, and it needed all her courage and all her pride to bear the blow. Dulcie played to her father, and read to him, and walked with him, and drove with him in the usual way smiled at him even when he was inclined to be cheerful but the sweet young face had a pale rigid look that went to sir everard's heart he suffered almost as acutely as she did one morning in something less than a week after the conversation on the veranda, dulcie came to her father as he sat writing letters in the sunny little room which he had made his study papa will you please write me the draught of a letter to morton Telling him that he and I are to part? she asked meekly. I don't know how to say it. Sir everard wrote the letter and Dulcie copied it, adding a few lines of her own, and brought it to him ready for the midday mail. End of chapter twenty five.